Hi and welcome back to a new episode of What's Next Rethinking Architecture. As always, Andrea and I are your hosts and we can't wait for this episode to start. We have a very special guest on our show today, Mima Studio. So let's get right to it and have fun listening. Okay, Hedwig, thank you so much for taking part. I'm glad you said yes. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, we're ha really happy having you on the show. Please introduce yourself. Uh, well, my name is uh, Hedvig Scheidingstar. I'm a Norwegian architect based in Copenhagen. Uh, and around a year ago, I founded my own office called Mima Studio, uh, which is basically short for mind and matter, which I can come back to. Uh, And then beside this, I'm a teacher at the Bergen School of Architecture and also work with some cross-field projects like writing, more artistic exploration. It's yeah, very to, fast. <laughs> to the writing and teaching part, we will come back later. And normally we start the interview always with, with some warm-up questions about yourself. And the first question would be, what's your favorite drink? Alcoholic, non-alcoholic? Um, well, I think maybe I have to say my morning coffee. Really? Uh, yes. I think I cannot function without having a coffee in the morning. So that will be my most important favorite drink. Okay, but that's yeah, the same I for can, you, right? I can feel you. <laughs> I come from Italy. I mean, I need five morning coffee okay. <laughs> for start the day. Uh, okay, good answer. Second question, favorite hobby besides architecture? Uh, I think I think it's difficult to divide the two because I kind of see architecture as this kind of cross-disciplinary field. So I think all hobbies somehow kind of tap into architecture. So all the hobbies I do, I think, reflect me as an architect. Uh, it could be like traveling or writing or arts. Um, But maybe when I was a student, I used to uh, do a lot of sewing projects, like find nice textiles and make them into clothing. So I think, yeah, maybe if I had more time, I would devote myself more to, to sewing. Okay. This But, is cool. Yeah. And where did you study? Did you I study also in Scandinavian country? Or? Yeah, the School of Architecture in, in Copenhagen. Okay, great. Okay, so you're really happy that actually your hobby is your profession. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> That's what Definitely. you always <laughs> Okay, and then, uh, okay, so next question. Describe your first step in becoming a self-employed. Because you're a really young architecture office and a lot of us would like to become self-employed probably, because, but it's really hard. Next to your normal work, maybe build something for yourself. So... What were your first steps? I think, it, first of all, it's a very good question. Uh, I think for me, it was a gradual process. So it's, of course, something I have thought about time and, and time again. Uh, and I've been, since I graduated, I think it's eight, 
seven, eight years ago. I've been working at architectural offices. Um, but I think basically I took the decision in the middle of, of Corona lockdown to go uh, to be self-employed. And I think it was, for me, it was this process of the world being kind of turned upside down. And I kind of got to think about what, what do I really believe in? What makes creates meaning for me. So I think that was kind of the pushing point uh, for me to take the step. Uh, everything <laughs> was was a bit upside down anyways. So then, then uh, I took the step of coming self-employed. Uh, and I think, I think I've always been working quite uh, kind of multidisciplinary with teaching, with writing, with artistic projects, with office work. So it was kind of this uh, intention of combining them. Uh, mm -hmm. more. And were you afraid when you start or you didn't have any doubts about of this? Of course because, I was afraid. Still, I'm this still is, this afraid. This is what all of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like the first step in like in between be an employee and be a self-employed, it's always something that makes you scared. You really want to do, but you always think about leaving your comfort zone. Of course, and I think, yeah, yeah. I think what you say, leaving the comfort zone, was was definitely like the most one of the most challenging aspect of it, and and I think I was trying to be conscious of, of this. So mm -hmm. uh, I was also saying to myself that uh, when going on my own, I had to be. Uh, this may sound wrong, but consciously naive and and yeah. pushing myself to be an optimist, kind of believing, very much believing uh, in this project, so to say. And how did you get your first client? I think uh, the very first thing I, I did was open competition. So that's, of course, a mm -hmm. fictive client. Uh, and then I'm also lucky to have, uh, have a big network uh, here in Copenhagen so I actually also started working with another office uh, collaborating on projects mm -hmm. um, so that was maybe one of the first but it was several different ones um, and friends of friends uh, and then kind of slowly uh, saying that I'm here and letting people know that that uh, yeah I'm yeah available. this is the best kind of advertisement I think a good feedback from friends and people that already work with you. But if you can choose a typology of building or which is the kind of architecture or typology of building that you enjoy more, for example, renovation or like starting from zero, if you can choose beside any client and beside any competition, what would you do? I think yeah, I've been actually very much thinking about exactly that question. And I think my response would be that that it's not a particular, I'm not uh, focusing particularly on, on a topology or a program or, or a size. I'm, I'm more interested in, let's say, the approach to the project, mm -hmm. the narrative of the project. Uh, so I think um, I've always been fascinated by several scales, by several programs. Um, so I think it's a matter on how, uh, what I can offer is rather a, a way of thinking and a, a way of, of working with architecture that is uh, um, yeah, kind of beyond the typology somehow. 
Okay. <laughs> but you're not all, only an architect, you're also a teacher and a writer. What do yes. you teach and what do you write? Uh, if I can say it that simple. Uh, I've been teaching uh, in at Bergen School of Architecture, uh, actually since I graduated. Uh, and it's been uh, different courses, both uh, third year and master's program and so on. So, so it's following different projects and, and uh, courses uh, for each semester. And, and I think uh, one of my main uh, focuses is, is how to develop uh, narratives and poetic narratives in an architectural context. So, so I work with different, yes, uh, as I said, different courses and so on, but this mm -hmm. stays with different programs and different teacher teams and so on, but this stays kind of my core intention for teaching. Did you already sell a lot of books? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very much a niche. Uh, I would say the writing is, I'm working um, very closely with, with a publisher called Forlage uh, Corridor, which is... Uh, Roughly translated, it would be hallway press or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, which work with prose and literature. So what I've been writing is more uh, experimental, uh, more prose-based and poetry-based. Uh, so it's kind of been a, a journey for me as, as well to explore uh, what I can do with text and writing also in relation to architectural topic. Okay, but that sounds super interesting. You should tell me how the books are called afterwards so we I can will. publish them also on Instagram. <laughs> They are in Danish, I would say. Doesn't matter. Okay, it's a niche anyway then. <laughs> and may I ask you also, you talk about narrative. What do you mean with narrative in the project? You want to tell a story with the project or you want, for example, to... Mm, explain the story that is behind a particular project or a particular site. What do you mean like with this? I think it also relates to the name of, of the office and, and how I think about architecture, so this idea of mind and matter. So mm -hmm. I think it's very important to, to kind of engage ourselves uh, through to imagination and thought and critical reflection, being as, as thinking... Uh, humans and and combine that with the physical conditions of a project so that being this uh, site and the program and so on and and <clears throat> by combining this i think it's important to find or i i very much work with with the idea of finding a narrative and working a narrative that that combines the aspect of, of thinking and dreaming and imagining mm -hmm. with with the physical qualities uh, of a site And I think it's also important that a narrative can be many things. So it thinks it's not one specific narrative, narrative that is uh, the truth, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it can be many narratives. And it could also be that we as architects have one intention, but maybe it's read by the users in a different way. But And I think this is okay, but as long as, as we have this feeling of, of presence, uh, there's something on the heart, there's something to be said, um, yeah, I really agree with that. For example, for me, like I think also about the narrative and something that uh, it's important is the feeling 
the, the person that enters in a building as, for example, you know, in a school or in a concert hall, how to make feel the people, com- like how could you give, let's say, a comfort feeling to the people that enter there as, uh, yeah, as client, as visitors, as whatever. So I really, I really agree with what you say. And sometimes, you know, we are architects, so for us it's uh, kind of easy understand, to understand this. But sometimes my question is always, do the client, do the people that enter in a building feel this? Can we be satisfied from what we plan and what we thought so many days and nights about this? So this is what interesting, what it's really interesting for me. Yeah, I, I think it taps into in, in at the School of, of uh, Architecture in Bergen, there's this ongoing discussion of some of the concept of open form Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is interpreted in in many ways and i don't have the kind of the correct answer to it but for Mm -hmm. me it kind of means that um, a building will never be finished so a building kind of keeps living through its users Uh, and i don't think think we can dictate what kind of feelings or experience the users will have but i Mm -hmm. think we can uh, encourage for participation uh, yeah. and uh, acknowledge that we are uh, we are somehow each of us human beings that imagine that dreams that things and if we can somehow uh, create spaces for this um, I think we can cross our fingers in hope mm-hmm. that it will be well received I think it's a really good point that you mentioned there. And if you start your design process, you have a new project, how do you start? Do you have a set of rules that you always, that are fixed and you go those points and then you start or is it, do you need freedom and how do you start? uh, Maybe a combination of of both. I think, first of all, the, the, uh, Place is crucial, thinking context, understanding the context uh, uh, and kind of working with what's already there and the conditions of the project. But I think also, and now again returning to this combination of the mind and matter, which for me also uh, refers to a way of, of working. So, so I don't know, I don't have a set of rules, but I, I have a high consciousness towards my own process and, and the creative process. Uh, and I think for me, it's important to all the time shift between analytical thinking, uh, uh, reflection, um, thoughts, and, and kind of analysis on the one side. And then on the other side, this kind of more intuitive doing, the, the, the kind of just uh, drawing something, just kind of try to switch the brain off, so mm-hmm. to say, and just do... So I try to combine these two ways, kind of the thinking and the doing, and try to combine them when when I make something. So I think, for me, this is important uh, for the creative process somehow. And, for example, how do we deal with the concept? Because I know, like, in Europe or in US or in China, we have all different approach to the concept on a project do you start with a concept that is like for example i don't know uh 
particular shape or a, an apple or a, I don't know, something or the concept for you, it's something more connected to the feeling, what we talked about before? Yeah, I think it's more connecting to, connected to, uh, as we talked about, the narrative. So I think exactly. I tried to, instead of developing a, a concept, a form uh, and so on, I tried to develop a narrative um, which can start through analysis, understanding something, but it could also be a hunch, just something that I think is interesting. Okay. <laughs> and then I tried to allow myself to, to go through that. It could also be to include writing in the process, to kind of write my way into something. Um, but it is a gradual uh, process, and I think I always try to, to work with form and material and and so on in relation to that narrative that I want to tell. Mm -hmm. And do all, would you say all of your projects have like a red line that somebody else could say, okay, this is a typical Mima? No, I don't, I don't think so. First of all, I'm, I'm, as you said, I'm a young office. So my por portfolio is, is not that big yet. Uh, so I think it's hard to find the kind of, uh, this kind of very clear red thread to it. Uh, but I also have, I don't know if I have an intention of making something that looks the same, because I, I think that each project should be unique in its own way. Mm -hmm. Each project should have its own voice. Um, yeah, so this I is a really uh, interesting tema, because, for example, we never, I mean, we cannot say what is, which is the right approach, but... Personally, I never understand if it's the right road is to building and design something that has a clear, um, let's say, narrative or like a clear signature, or as you say, every project is uh, different. Because I don't know if we talk about, uh, I don't know, Le Corbusier, just a really naive example <laughs> and a really like classical example. Like, I mean, in those projects, you always understand who is the architect. But now in our days, we have so many new uh, materials, so many new uh, detail and approach that it's also hard to find this uh, red line, let's say. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, as I said, I, I'm not trying to pursue that, but but I am, of course, trying to have some, some values that... Mm -hmm. Are important to me that I hope shine through in the projects that I do. Yeah. I, I, I try to to kind of um, invite for participation. Um, mm -hmm. This book that I write, uh, wrote recently, it's made on, uh, on transparent paper, so you would read the words in an uh, uh, endlessly different combination. So I think it's. Uh, with that project, I think it's highly fascinating how each reader would read this book differently. And I hope I for the same... I absolutely the... want to see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, th I hope for the same in, in the project as well, that, that it will be possible. I hope that people will come in and, and participate. And, and I also think that kind of... To, yeah, that it creates uh, some sort of wonder or, or creates a uh, presence. Um, and <clears throat> what means being an architect for you 
relating topics like climate change, overpopulation, hunger. What do you think is your, as an architect, how do you deal with this? And how do you prepare for all of those topics that are actually already there or here, but nobody really talks about it and we still build single family homes and I don't even know if this is up to date or if a single family house has future. <laughs> How do yeah, we do this? Many, many questions in, in, in one. I, I yeah. think, yeah, I think of course the most crucial aspect today is, is the climate uh, mm -hmm. crisis. And, and I almost think it's, uh, it's almost impossible to be an architect today and, and not consider uh, climate change in, in one way or another or how we deal with this as architects. Uh, and I think, I think my way into it is that I think this combination of, of reflecting on our built resources, uh, thinking and reflecting on what we're actually doing uh, and, and encouraging uh, this consciousness towards built resources. And I think um, that encourage what I call uh, a poetic sustainability. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I think sustainability is somehow more than just numbers and checklists and kind of this technical aspect, kind of this greenwash aspect, but it's more kind of encouraging uh, a way of being in the world where we do think holistically, where we do think of, of consequences and um, yeah, on on how we act um, and how we live. I don't know if that answers the questions. Yeah. Yeah. But do you, do you? What type of materials would you choose then, or do you think if we look into the future, we only print three D concrete houses, or how do you think the the design process will change with artificial intelligence, for example. How do we have to prepare ourselves for this? I think, uh, well, as a, as a general comment, I think, um, I think we will always have the need for, for something physical. Um, so I think in relation to artificial intelligence, I think, um, I think it's this, it can, help in some when many ways but it can never be a substitute for like the the real presence hopefully uh, yeah hopefully <laughs> hopefully so i think it could help us uh help us and it could make us be more flexible in the processes we do it can of course uh, rethink how we we explore materials uh, and so on um but i think it's interesting when they launched this kind of Uh, Kindle or digital books uh, some years ago or many years ago at the same time you saw this huge uh, explosion of, of small publishers that really emphasized the physical reading experience mm -hmm. so, so I think there's always this kind of um, desperate need also for us to be physically present and, and I think for me where the digital technology and, uh, and artificial intelligence is really uh, really interesting is, is when it combines this kind of uh, digital realm with, with the physical. For instance, as you say, when it comes to, 
to materials and, and 3D printing and so on. And yeah, I'm, I'm very fascinated by the combination. Yeah. So you you don't think that we don't have we don't have to enter a church anymore for this atmosphere or for the smell or something? You don't think that artificial intelligence also can give you the smell and the feeling of actually entering a church, for example? No, it, of course the, the the technology becomes at one point so so good that that it can mimic this but i i think it can never uh, replace the real uh, experience um but i i think it can can for instance going into that church if it's the site we're working with or something it could be a tool for us uh, to mm -hmm. understand a place and to work with that place but but never rep uh, replace the real uh the real condition Okay, so you don't see us all in little concrete boxes with our virtual reality glasses on, just going wherever we want and not leaving our homes anymore in the no, future. No, I don't. I, I think there will be a counter reaction to <laughs> okay. that. I think people will, will really go and uh, and be present. But but of course, this uh, the possibilities with working with augment, augmented realities and so on, where you have possibility to go into a for instance, um, a building before it's built and you can show the client uh, the project basically before it's uh, it's there. I think that's, uh, yeah, that's mm -hmm. huge positive, uh, potential. So you see there. positive and negative side about this. Definitely, like the combination of, uh, yeah. yeah. A lot and of potential, but also to be used uh, carefully. Yeah. And now in terms of uh, COVID, how do you imagine the future working place and, and living place? Or do you think working and living will be combined in the future? Like now home office or? I, th I think, yeah, it taps a, a bit into what, what we were talking about before. But I, I think um, it creates definitely more flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are able to to have conversations across borders uh, uh, and so on, and uh, and yeah, work in a whole different way. Uh, we're able to sit in a cabin in the woods and <laughs> do our work and have client meetings, or or we kind of make uh, make ourselves uh, independent of of place uh, very much so, but. But I must also say that having had, uh, for instance, teaching digital teaching for quite a while, it, I was very happy when I could go back and also see, see the the process kind of physically. So I, I think it will create more flexibility at the one side and and more opportunities. But on the other side, hopefully, it would also make us cherish the the physical. Uh, encounters even more so maybe we have uh, maybe we have a higher demand for our physical uh, situations mm -hmm. because they become a contrast uh, on what we have digitally okay good answer mm -hmm. so home office is the topic for you uh, 
I mean, she's do, just do started. Have... She's in home office in her own office, so it's no, the perfect I'm actually, situation. I'm actually in a, in a co-working employees. Do you already have employees, or you do everything by your own, and you're looking for someone for help? Or uh, I'm having an intern that's about to start. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, right now, I don't have any employees, um, but I'm also working. Um, I I love working with people. <laughs> So, so I'm sitting in a in a um, shared uh, co-working space mm -hmm. with some um, people I used to study with. So we we have a daily kind of uh, communication with each other, and I'm also collaborating with different architects. Um, so yeah, I enjoy that kind of um, uh, a dialogue. Change and dialogue, yeah. Yeah very much when you say you work like in cooperation with other architect architects what do you mean like you um, as a thing like as a physical person with an office you do partnership with other architects or uh, like you participate to competition together or both cases uh, i have some collaborations that i've done on on competitions and then there's i'm doing a Uh, summer house in with the office called Tainstun Lokal, uh, mm -hmm. which is some friends of mine actually. So, so it's it's also a part of of starting up to be be able to kind of uh, have projects in that way. And also, I think it's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, um, I think so. And do you mostly project and design something for Scandinavian country? Or do you also like uh, have the opportunity to project something? Uh, I don't know, in in south of Italy, in Africa, or somewhere else. I I would love to do projects in both south of of Italy and Africa. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but at the time being, I'm I'm working mainly in Denmark. Mm -hmm. But I'm also sketching a minor project both in in Norway and and Scandinavia. Oh, sorry, Sweden. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm kind of focusing very much on on the Scandinavian countries. Yeah, but the process you are in sounds super exciting and interesting. And maybe at some point we're also in this process, <laughs> but it's a long way, I think. And how how do you think the new normal will look like when we're done with this COVID? If we're ever done with this, how do you think the new normal will look like? Will oh, we I, as human I, beings behave differently? No hugs anymore? I think, first of all, I'm, I'm wondering if there will be a, a normal. Maybe we'll get used to also, again, returning to the climate crisis. Maybe yeah. we'll get used to not having a normal, that, uh, that the world is changing. Um, mm -hmm. But at, at the time being, when we talk now and, and the world is... is somewhat closing down a little bit again I'm, I'm very much hoping that we'll go come back to hugs and <laughs> and yes. more normal everyday life soon I, I really miss it but for um, example now when I'm not wearing my mask it feels like strange so the mask actually became normal in, exactly. in the public transportation or whatever and this is scary that something like this can become the new normal and yeah But at the same time, I'm fascinated about how surprisingly quick was, I at least got used to the mask and mm -hmm. then there was no mask. So I got very quickly used to that. Yeah. And now I'm used. So, so maybe 
if I look optimistically on it, maybe we can learn that that we can do changes and we can adapt to those changes also in relation to to think differently on on how we act in relation to the climate crisis so maybe we can hope for us being more adaptable for good mm-hmm. changes in the future i'm trying to look at it positively <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> no but that's good we are um Okay, now we have the last question already. What is architecture for you personally? Oh, uh, yeah, that's a it's a big question. I I think um, I think recently I I went through a box of old stuff in the attic, <laughs> and I find all of these books that I made as a as a child. Uh, so I kind of realized that I always had this and there was like small stories and fictive worlds somehow. So I think I kind of realized that, that, yeah, the story has always been something that fascinated me and uh, mm-hmm. really kind of my entrance points, uh, point to, towards architecture. And, and I think also, um, yeah, I, I think I, I, I grew up with a, a father that's a psychiatrist working with mines and a mother mm-hmm. that's a geologist working with stones. So What think, a combination. Yeah, <laughs> a combination. So, so I kind of believe that a personal uh, approach for me in architecture is, is that it's lying somewhere in between. Um, which so again, this is really in, cool. Yeah, which, yeah and now you're the combination of your mom and your dad. <laughs> yeah, hope, hopefully not, let's say. But no, it's, it's not that simple, but I, but I think it's it's fascinating to think about architecture in this way. So it is us as, as thinking human beings on the one side and then kind of the material, um, the, kind of the stone or the tree or kind of this the idea of the materials on, on the other side and, and somehow in the middle... Um, Yeah, architecture arise. In between psychiatry and geology. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure and thank thank you again for inviting me. This was this week's episode. We really hope you liked it as much as we did. And thank you so much again to Nima Studio for taking part. If you have any comments, please let us know. Critic is always very welcome. And till next time on What's Next. Ciao, ciao.